0: Celebrating 50 years, ASCP is a membership organization of senior care pharmacists. Our mission is to promote healthy aging by empowering pharmacists with education, resources, and innovative opportunities. Learn more at ASCP.com. ASCP, experts in medication management,
1: improving the lives of older adults. listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Welcome to Senior Rx Radio, part of the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Senior Rx Radio is brought to you by the American Society of Consultant Pharmacists, the ASCP.
0: ASCP is devoted to optimal medication management and improved health care outcomes for older adults. Learn more at our website, ASCP.com. Welcome to the Senior Care Pharmacist radio podcast. This is Donna Bartlett, your host. Today we have with us Dr. Scott Pearson, board-certified ambulatory care pharmacist and assistant professor, Department of Clinical Pharmacy at the University of Colorado, Skaggs School of Pharmacy and Pharmaceutical Sciences. Welcome, Dr. Pearson. I'm so glad you're here with us today.
1: Thank you, Dr. Bartlett. I'm happy to be here.
0: So today we're speaking about your publication, Pharmacist-Led Transitions of Care Pilot, Targeting Older People After Emergency Room Discharge. This publication can be found in the June 2020 edition of the Senior Care Pharmacist. So welcome, Scott, and thank you for being with us today. I found this so interesting, um, this article, and I especially am always thinking about our older adults and also about transitions of care. So with that, I am just so glad to be talking with you today. I'm really interested to know how you came about um, you know, thinking about this study and starting this study? And what's the role of the pharmacist at your clinic setting?
1: Yeah, thanks. Uh, Those are all good questions. And so I guess first for a little bit of background about our clinic. So my practice site is in the University of Colorado Health Seniors Clinic. And my co-authors on this project also practice with me in that setting. But basically, this is a primary care clinic for older adults. So the majority of patients who we see in our clinic are age 75 or older. And as far as our role as clinical pharmacists, I'd say we kind of have a mix of more independent pharmacist run services, as well as because we are embedded in the clinic, we also oftentimes will get curbside consults from various other members of our clinic team. And I'd say overall, it is a very interdisciplinary and kind of a team based clinic. But as far as some of the more independent pharmacist run services that we have, we do have collaborative practice agreements for both diabetes and hypertension. So we do a lot of management of these disease states. We also do a number of types of review screening for high risk medications in our older adults. So specifically, as part of a fall prevention clinic, we will help to review medications that might be placing patients at risk of falls. Um, also, when patients might be coming in for a cognitive assessment appointment, oftentimes the providers will kind of consult us to review those medications for things that could be impacting memory. And so I guess with both of those, we definitely do have our minds tuned in to de-prescribing when it comes to those more high-risk medications. Um, and A lot of times we actually are working with patients on different types of taper algorithms. I guess the other big thing that we really do quite a bit of in our clinic is related to transitions of care. So. Before we had the idea for this project, something that our clinical pharmacists have been very involved in is our transition of care process for our patients who end up being discharged from the hospital. So when this happens, um, where we fit in as kind of the pharmacists is before patients end up coming back in for their hospital follow up appointment, what we'll do is essentially a comprehensive medication review. So we'll review all of the hospital discharge summary, all of the medication changes that occurred, um, kind of comparing this with all of their problem lists and other medications they were on previously. And then we'll outreach the patients over the phone to complete a medication reconciliation and just making sure that patients incorporated any of the changes that might have been made at discharge. And then based on what we find, we'll either document these things in a progress note and route it to the provider so that they have those recommendations for the follow-up appointment. Or if we catch things that might be more urgent and need to be acted on right away, then we'll follow up with those providers more urgently so that those things can be addressed. As far as where we came with the idea for this article and this project, basically the reason why we wanted to focus on emergency department visits was because this is something that our clinic gets graded on as far as kind of healthcare utilization. And I think as a lot of clinics have seen, um, it is very I should say, challenging to try and curb some of this emergency department use. So, really, our goal was to try and reduce our clinic's overall healthcare utilization, specifically for the emergency department and hospital, and maybe cases that it wasn't necessary. And so, we really kind of shaped this project off of the existing transition of care service that we had for hospitalized patients. Mm,
0: that's great. It sounds like a great fit for transitions of care too. So, and you can probably pick up things that are problematic for people in regards to, you know, before they become hospitalized, let's say, if it's if they're being released from the emergency department. So, that's really interesting. Um, could you share with us some of the issues you found with the polypharmacy side of things? There's mention in the manuscript that Patients on average had 14 medications and I know people, some people listening might be alarmed by that, but it's something that we'll often see with our older adults. And then you also mentioned that you found many medical discrepancies, about 86% of patients had some type of medication discrepancy. So and some of these changes might not have been noted or have had an impact in that 30 to 90-day window of your study and instead making some of these medicine changes might have more of a long-term impact that went beyond that window of 30 to 90 days.
1: Exactly. And you know, I think to address the first point of what you brought up as far as number of medications. So with 14 medications, you know, that is a high number. But when we think about the population that we're looking at here, um, again, most of our patients are 75 years of age and older. And specifically, in terms of the population that we looked at in this study, um, we looked at patients who had a history of heart failure, history of COPD, or patients who had had frequent ED visits as far as inclusion. And so, you know, with many of those patients also having additional comorbidities, you know, in many cases, having 14 medications would not be at all surprising when it's treating a specific disease state. And so. There were cases where I think it was appropriate that patients were on that many medications. But with that being said, we definitely as pharmacists are always having our minds tuned into thinking about, you know, do our patients really need to be on all these medications? So when we were making different types of recommendations, oftentimes we were looking at potentially deprescribing things that patients may no longer need to be on or that might potentially be presenting a risk. And I guess to address your second point, so as far as the discrepancies that we found, so as you mentioned, we did find medication discrepancies in about 86% of the patients who we spoke with. Essentially what that meant was a discrepancy was when we looked at the emergency department discharge medication list. When we actually compared that with what the patient was taking at home, it just meant that we found at least one difference. And so You know, this didn't necessarily mean that it was inappropriate. It could have just meant that the patient was taking an additional over-the-counter medication that we weren't aware of. So we added that to their list. So I think that helps to explain why that number was so high. Um, With that being said, we certainly did catch things that were inappropriate with these calls as well. Um, You know, say a patient was prescribed an antibiotic at discharge and they just hadn't picked it up yet. You know, any types of those discrepancies that could have been more problematic were also identified. Yeah, and to kind of address your point, too, about the short versus the long-term impact, you know, I think in a case like that, if a patient wasn't aware that they had an antibiotic prescribed and didn't pick it up, that could absolutely lead to within 30 days returning to the emergency department. But when we think about some of these other types of things we might have caught, if it was something that was maybe a medication discrepancy that wasn't directly related to the reason for the emergency department visit, you know, that might have been something that, in the long term, was certainly a good thing, but it might not have been recognized within that maybe thirty to ninety day window that we looked at.
0: And you bring up some great points in your comments on that, Scott. In regards to appropriateness, we always think about that: are medications appropriate? And near and dear to me is de-prescribing. And like you said, with many of us pharmacists and many of us working with older adults, we are really thinking about are medications appropriate and trying to reduce anything that's inappropriate and our older adults are making switches um, for that. So all really important points and so important the work that you're doing in your clinic for this particular population. Thank you. So when you were talking about the counseling services, I know that these are time consuming, you spent a lot of time with patients and it just, that comprehensive review can be just more than you even expect, especially when people are thinking about even their over the counters and things that they might've forgotten, like, oh, I, oh yeah, I take an inhaler too, by the way. And then that could be shifting your conversation because they might not be thinking of that when they first initially um, provide information. So I'm sure that there's a lot that went into that and maybe, you know, added things as your conversations went on, but there was some speculation in the actual article that, you know, maybe a more targeted approach as to what was going on or maybe related to the emergency department visit or something might have been a possibly better approach. What are your thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, I think that's a great question. So, you know, the, As you said, the intervention was very time consuming, and I think something that we realized with making some of these calls was that because we were including patients based on specific criteria, such as a diagnosis or a number of emergency department visits, it didn't necessarily mean that there were actually any medication-related changes being made at discharge. And so oftentimes we would be calling patients, we'd be doing this comprehensive medication review and medication reconciliation, but really this had nothing to do with why they were even in the emergency department. And so with this, I mean, we certainly did catch things and I think made some good interventions, but you know, in looking at what might be the most efficient and the most appropriate approach for these patients, um, something that we were thinking about as far as if we were to adjust this intervention would be maybe looking only at patients who were started on a new medication. Because within the study, we saw that the patients who we outreached, only about 40% of those were actually started on a new medication at discharge. So potentially only looking at these patients who maybe had a higher likelihood of having a medication-related issue occur. And then also potentially, rather than doing this full comprehensive review, Maybe we just target this a little bit more towards the definite and kind of exact reason why they were seen in the emergency department and addressing those medication issues specifically related to that as opposed to this more comprehensive approach.
0: And in, in as we know, you know, technique, I, I often think, and you mentioned in the article too, COPD type of issues and even just like technique of inhalers can be an issue for people or affordability, especially with various pockets of Medicare coverage, for example. So there's so many things that can play a factor in somebody's use of meds, availability of medications, or continuing the refills and adherence that we see. So I'm sure that there was a lot of that happening as well. I know that you, you know, in your article, you do state that the study did not find a statistical benefit for the pharmacist-led post-emergency department discharge scenario. However, there were so many points that were brought forth. And I think the one that really hit me is the possibility that the emergency department being used for not only, you know, medical purposes, of course, but because of the socioeconomic factor too. So did you see a little bit of that? Or, you know, can you comment on that correlation between the emergency department and socioeconomics?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So that was definitely something that we saw throughout this study was that you know there were some patients that it seemed like no matter what we did with our calls and what types of recommendations we made, it seemed like they would just continue to return to the emergency department no matter what we did. So I think, you know, related to this, I think health literacy certainly was a factor in some of these cases. And, you know, when you put yourself in these patients position, I think it is challenging to try and navigate all of this. So figuring out what constitutes an appropriate reason to use the emergency department versus looking at maybe when it might be more appropriate to be seen in clinic versus going to urgent care. So we certainly tried to provide some of this education to patients, but I think that health literacy was definitely a piece of this. And, you know, I think when you think about, like you mentioned with patients who might have maybe lower socioeconomic status, um, perhaps they don't have a working phone at home. And so in those cases, maybe they don't have the ability to call the clinic and try and be seen. Whereas if they just go into the emergency department, they know that they'll be seen right away. Um, so I think that was challenging. And I think something else that came up was caregiver support, kind of along those lines, having transportation to get to appointments. So maybe it was a patient who should have been seen a week ago in clinic, but they didn't have transportation and now their disease state has worsened and now they really are in a more acute situation. So I think all of those social aspects are definitely important and we definitely seen in some of the things that we um, kind of saw in these follow ups. and. With all that being said, I think in some of these cases, a pharmacist wasn't always the best person to be trying to address the problems.
0: Right. So, you know, almost thinking more of some of that interprofessional approach, too. And you mentioned that. And what was interesting, and I really liked this, Scott, is that you made a distinction between that pharmacist led counseling for in-hospital patients have shown some benefit in other studies and that this study was the first in a different approach in looking at emergency department discharges and in thinking maybe a more interprofessional approach might be warranted. So can you just discuss that a little bit more?
1: Yeah. So I think, you know, one of the big differences between the hospital versus emergency department use is like we kind of talked about with the previous question, just kind of the nature of how acute the medical concern is. So, in most of the patients who are hospitalized, it's patients who are more likely to have multiple comorbidities. They likely had something medical in nature take place that led to the hospitalization. Whereas in some of these ED visits, although certainly many of them were medical in nature, we did see some of these other social aspects at play as well. And I think also, you know, when we think about specifically in our clinic for the process that we have in looking at how patients are followed up with after hospital discharge, typically they'll be seen by their provider within two weeks after discharge. And so when we call the patient to do this review right before that appointment, our providers are very much in tune with before they see the patient, they'll then look for our note in the chart and have those recommendations in mind when they see them. But... I think in a lot of these cases, when patients were seen in the emergency department, if they were then stable and didn't necessarily get scheduled for a follow-up appointment, you know, we might have made recommendations to the provider in a note, but if the patient wasn't actually seen for a few months down the line, it's likely that those recommendations might not have been acted on as much. And so I think, you know, in looking at our role as pharmacists, it seems like, you know, the hospital discharges are definitely patients who there's a more definitive benefit as far as our role. Whereas with these patients who are discharged from the emergency department, I think in some cases having someone like a social worker, or a care manager might be more appropriate to lead this initial outreach. Well, certainly if there are medication related issues that come up, having those then kind of consulted to us to address would then be more appropriate.
0: Yeah. That. that definitely makes sense. And really that whole interprofessional education that we teach to pharmacy students too is so important. And that just shows the importance of that interprofessional type of work environment that we do find ourselves in now and and how everyone's expertise really plays a part in helping patients. So that's a great point to be made for certain. So Scott, just in general, And again, I think it was a great article in regards to transitions of care, thinking a little bit differently about this, like the emergency department type of discharge versus in-hospital discharge, maybe what we see in some of the clinics that have pharmacists available in them and, you know, doing more of that ambulatory type of counseling as well. But I think that this was a really unique approach. I'm just curious, do you have any recommendations for pharmacists in general or maybe student pharmacists who are listening in too on moving forward in this area? Any any considerations you would have us be thinking about in regards to being able to help people in either your environment where you're at or thinking more about this emergency room discharge even?
1: Sure. So Don, I think, you know, first talking about pharmacists. I think just when we look at any type of new service that we're thinking of and trying to implement in one of our clinics, it's important that we think of ways that we want to try to evaluate that down the line. Because I think it's easy for us as the pharmacists who are more on the front line who are seeing these patients, it's pretty easy to get into a specific routine. And For example, when we were actually making these calls on the patient level, we definitely saw some benefits in terms of different types of interventions we made. Um, But when we kind of back up and look at things from more of a bird's eye view, like you mentioned earlier, this was a very time intensive intervention. It was a lot of resources that we devoted to it. And so rather than just continuing to work on this project for a more definitive period of time, I think it was worthwhile that we did take a look after this six month pilot to see if this was really the best approach. And again, although there were certainly positives to take from this, I think keeping in mind what types of adaptations could potentially be made um, and thinking about what can make a service more sustainable long-term in terms of working with your stakeholders. So that would be a recommendation, I think, just for pharmacists in general and looking at any type of service being implemented. And, you know, I think to answer your other question and something that you touched on a little bit as well, in terms of the importance of interprofessional education, I think for pharmacy students, that would be something that I would definitely recommend is just to really seek out these opportunities to work with colleagues from the other professions. Um, as I mentioned, I'm lucky enough to work in a really great interprofessional clinic where every day I learn something from someone who has a different training and background than I do. And I think that was something that we really saw as a part of this project is when we did hear those things come up that maybe were a little bit outside of my scope. Um, I was comfortable being able to say, is it okay if our social worker gives you a call back? And so I think just being able to identify those things that maybe someone else is better able to address than you, um, in the long run is just going to improve the overall patient care that we have in the clinic.
0: That's great. Well, Scott, thank you so very much for being with us today. Really appreciate your insight and taking the time to chat with me about your study and your work and how important it is. And really, you know, I think it's also a great lesson too that. Not everything works as planned, right? And you don't always get the outcomes that you're hoping for. And I just love the fact that you provided this information so that, you know, like you said, maybe pharmacists can take another approach after learning from you and your colleagues as to, you know, maybe making some changes and doing some further studies too as to what's best for everybody involved. So thank you for that. And I just want to thank our listeners too for listening in today. We always appreciate our listeners and the care that you provide to our older adults as well. So I just want to remind you that today we're speaking with Dr. Scott Pearson and his work of pharmacist-led transitions of care pilot targeting older people after emergency room discharge can be found in the June 2020 edition of the Senior Care Pharmacist. Thank you, Scott. Thank you, Donna. Be well, everybody. Thanks for listening.